Hey, everybody. Welcome to No One Told Me, where we believe hindsight is everything. My name is Callie, and if it's your first time hanging out with us, it's kind of a good week for it to be your first time because we we're mixing things up a little bit around here. All right, so last week, the Holland family, my family, we had a little bit of a surprise. Well, a nine months in waiting surprise, if you can still call it that. We welcomed our third little nugget into the world. And the whole time this little guy was growing, I just kept praying about how in the world am I going to juggle three kids, which feels decidedly different than two, right? Like the first and second, you all can kind of do like the the one-on-one approach. But with three, you can't do that anymore. Okay, so I'm I'm just thinking through, okay, we have so much going on already. How are we going to add a third? But I also know without a doubt that we need this little guy in our family. So as I was praying through it and trying to figure out how do I how do I juggle the kids and continue contract work and this ministry that I've grown to love so much, And outside of, you know, just losing my ever loving mind, trying to force it all to work together, I decided I'd rather take a minute. I really want to lean into this new season. And I've spent a lot of past seasons similar to this, just trying to get through instead of actually enjoying it, right? Like I'm just trying to make it. I want to change my attitude from just trying to make it and instead make the best of it and figure out what am I learning right now? What is... What's really good and what do I need to work on? And so, but to do that, I knew some things had to come off the plate a little bit. So what we're going to do is we're going to hand off no one told me to some trusted friends. So I'd like to welcome you to Good to Know with Sam Hicks and Caitlin McCall. This is going to be a little mini series where they're going to cover these topics that are just plain good to know as you navigate the expected and unexpected of your everyday. And I know with out question. You are better for listening. And I can't wait to be back with you on the other side. But for now, I'm sure there's a kid screaming somewhere that I've got to get to. So here are Sam and Caitlin with What's Good to Know. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode in our mini series. Good to know on No One Told Me. My name is Caitlin. And my name is Sam. And we are so happy to be back with you again this week. Mm -hmm. Samantha, you have a new family member since the last time we recorded. We do. We have a fresh nine-week-old puppy. Rogue Hicks. Rogue Hicks. How is puppy life? Honestly, it's pretty great other than not really sleeping at night, but (laughs) he is the best boy and he already knows how to sit. He's actually the cutest thing I've ever seen. He's so cute. He's a Weimariner. He's a Weimariner. I just need everyone to know how many times I had to rehearse saying that (laughs) before I could actually say it to someone that you got a Weimariner. A Weimariner. Don't ask me to spell it. I can say it, but please don't ask me to spell it. That is the number one question I get when I say we have a Weimariner. They say, can you spell that yes I can actually the cutest thing he does right now is whenever he is like drinking water from his bowl his ears are so floppy that the tips of them get wet oh my gosh that is the cutest thing I've ever so cute but you have two dogs too and you got them as puppies we got both of them together as puppies so it was double trouble but yes we actually did not intend on getting two Mm. however when we went to pick them out it came down to the two of them and 
we initially picked our girl dog, Maple. When we left, Christian looked over at me in the car and said, do you think the boy is going to go to a good home? That's so tender. So we got both of them. They're siblings. They're siblings. Maverick and Maple, they are just two peas in a pod. I will say on our way to go get Rogue, Jonathan had to sit me down and say, we are not getting two dogs. <laughs> Repeat after me. Yes. We are not getting two dogs. And but I said, but we could. you know what? I don't regret it. Well, I love Rogue and he's made our family whole right now. And so we're working on all the training and all the things, but he is just the best boy. He's so cute. Well, let's just get into today's conversation. Let's do it. Okay. Failure, everyone. This one is salt in the wound for me. Okay. <laughs> I can almost only speak personally from this one. I'm actually glad that we're digging into this today because we honestly never want to give off the impression that we have it all together. That's correct. It is the furthest thing from the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, God's word should always be reminding us where we need to grow. The minute we think we've graduated from growth, we are in a dangerous place. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that I need to grow a lot (laughs) in this area. And in my response to failure, I've said before how greatly I care about succeeding in all that I do and how much I desire approval from others. I can't imagine not caring about that. I don't think there are many people who would say they didn't care at all about that. There's a level of healthy care about what other people think. Absolutely. But sometimes it gets unhealthy. It does. And we all want to be someone who matters. We Mm -hmm. all want to do something that matters. But I think we can easily blow that out of proportion. There's a difference between just shooting for success, which is not wrong, and then depending on it for peace, Mm -hmm. which is what I tend to do. Because when that's the case, the idea of failing becomes something way bigger than it actually is. And our culture happily contributes to this idea. We're constantly presented with a version of life that always appears to be attainable for someone Mm -hmm. else. But as soon as we try it, it is impossible to maintain. And that bar is meant to be unreachable as far Mm -hmm. as culture is concerned. Yet we still buy into it, right? I mean, we're fully aware that perfection is unattainable, but we're also simultaneously hustling and striving for it and then growing increasingly hard on ourselves when we don't hit the mark we know we can't hit. Yeah. So failure is a loaded word. I don't think many of us would label ourselves as that. Like I wouldn't be like, I'm a failure. (laughs) I probably wouldn't say that. But I often tend to feel like I'm failing. Yes. I can think of a lot of areas that I feel like I'm failing. For instance, I was an athlete all through high school. And when I got to college and I wasn't working out seven days a week and my body was different, I felt like I physically was failing because Mm -hmm. I wasn't the same that I was in high school, especially in college. This whole idea of failing was so difficult because you felt like there was so much more on the line. You're paying for school, your parents are rooting for you and you're trying to figure it out, but you feel like you have to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. There's so many areas in our life that we can feel like we're failing. Maybe you start a job and it's not as easy as you thought it was going to be. I know when I started my first full-time job out of college, I just immediately felt unequipped. And I felt like I was too young and I didn't know enough, even though that was no standard that anyone had for me. Right. It was just something you put on yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not something that applies to your entire life. Everything might be great at home and you just feel like things are going terribly at work or vice versa. So I think 
where that shows up can change for sure. Have you experienced any areas in your life that you feel like you have failed when maybe no one else has put that standard out there for you? One that almost immediately comes to my mind for me is spiritual discipline. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) When you grow up in church and your family is involved really heavily in your walk with Jesus, there always comes a point when your faith really has to become your own. I think that's something that gradually starts when you're like a teenager probably really takes flight when you get to college. It's like, are you going to keep going to church or not? For me, my personal spiritual discipline really started to take shape in like seventh or eighth grade, probably. Like I'm responsible enough to study for a test or turn in my homework. So Mm. I should also be responsible enough to read my Bible. Yeah. But I found it so hard to maintain consistent, productive, quiet time, Mm -hmm. even all the way through high school and college. And still sometimes now, Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you how many Christmases I would get a brand new Bible or journal or devotional and make a New Year's resolution that literally never made it past February. (laughs) Like, I'll read my Bible every day this year. And then mid-February, the streak breaks. Yep. And the longer that I was away from routine, the harder it was for me to return because of that feeling of failing. Mm -hmm. And I was also mature enough at that point to know that God hadn't moved away from me. I had moved away from him, which instead of prompting me to just draw near again, it only packed on this guilt and shame attached Mm -hmm. to the distance because I knew I was the one who put it there. Mm -hmm. It is wild for me to think about that now and how easy it was for me to let like one missed quiet time totally derail all of my time with the Lord. Because I know now there will always be crazy and poorly planned days where I'm just out of routine and I'm going to miss my quiet time, my Mm -hmm. routine quiet time. But just counting that as a fail and throwing my hands up about it does nothing. Like I actually want to be close to God Mm -hmm. and any amount of time or energy I can give him is time that's worth it for me. I just didn't know that at the time. And if it's an off day, it's not the end of the world. No matter how long I've been away or what reason I have for being out of routine, I'm never returning to a God who's disappointed Mm -hmm. to hear from me. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn that I was the one letting failure get in the way. So spiritual discipline, failing in that area, that's one that sticks out to me a lot that's been kind of seasonal. Mm -hmm. I think another area that we see often in our generation, like you and I are both mid-20s, is this idea of failure to launch. Yes. I recently got married at 26. And when I graduated college, all of my friends were getting married. Mm -hmm. That's not dramatic. That is just truth. Every single one of my friends got married. We called it the summer of love. I was in the summer of love. Yes, everyone got (laughs) married. Okay, the night before Sam's wedding, we had this huge sleepover with all the bridesmaids. And we literally had a collage of every time you were a bridesmaid. Yes, it was literally like 27 dresses. It was. Which was wonderful. And I loved it. But in the meantime, I didn't. At the time, it was not great. It was not great because I felt like I had missed out Mm -hmm. on something I was supposed to do. And it was this whole idea of this failure to launch that, oh, all of these people got something right and I must have got something wrong because they are all moving on with their life and I feel stuck. Mm 
Right. I'm, I'm not on to the next step. Yes. I think part of this whole idea of failure to launch is we go to school and we have the same timeline as everyone. But once we graduate high school, paths start to diverge. You mm-hmm. think you're supposed to be operating on the same timeline as everyone else. But then once you get out of college, if you do go to college, that is when things change. And for me, I felt like there was a race, right. but everyone else was running it. And I just felt like I was off track. Or you were in last place. Yes. I know we said earlier, there are times in our lives where we feel like we have just failed. We don't feel like a failure. We just feel like we're failing. This idea of failure to launch, I can speak truthfully. There were times that I felt like I was a failure, Mm. that I felt like I missed it or I did something wrong. And therefore, what I desired was never going to come to fruition, which I see now on the other side of this, that 100% was not the case. It was just God working something else out for me. But there is this pressurized timeline that we feel like we have to operate on, whether it's getting a dream job, buying a house, getting married, having children, whatever it is, society has told us that there is this timeline that we're supposed to operate on. And when we feel like we aren't hitting those marks, Mm -hmm. it can make us feel like we're behind. Right. I think we're conditioned to expect that. These Mm -hmm. huge milestones or benchmarks of success, literally starting with kindergarten graduation. Literally. I actually think they do a preschool graduation They do a preschool graduation. So when you're four, you hit your first great benchmark of success, and then you're expected to continue that on like you said all through high school for the Mm -hmm. first 18 years we're all at the same pace same expectations it makes sense that we get caught up in Mm -hmm. title holding like now I am a graduate next I will be a working professional Mm -hmm. then a wife then a mother like just keep adding on the fear that we got off at the wrong exit on the way to whatever we expect to be next isn't based on anything other than the belief that the only next step is the next big step. Mm -hmm. At some point, I think we have to become aware of just how many things are ahead and in store for us besides the one that we tend to fixate on. It's like the Proverbs 16, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. God is always asking us to step into something. If that big one that you're hoping for isn't on the horizon yet, it likely means that something else is. Mm -hmm. And it's just waiting for you to jump into. We can easily get caught up in Well, what's the next big one? What's the next invitation that I'm going to be mailing out? Mm -hmm. In reality, God's asking us to do so many things between now and then. Absolutely. Now, we can't talk about a topic like failure without mentioning the plethora of examples of failure that is played out in Scripture. We see throughout Scripture so many people who fail time and time again. This is one of my favorite things about the Bible. Whenever I am walking through something or I feel discouraged or I am frustrated with the season of life that I'm in or I feel like I am just missing the mark, I can always go back to scripture and find someone in there who is failing or is in that season that I'm in. And it brings so much encouragement. But we see that failure is varied, like we just talked about. We also see that failure can follow great success. Mm -hmm. Just because you are succeeding in an area doesn't mean that you're exempt from failing in another. Also, we see that failure can be repeated. It's not like a bingo board that you can just (laughs) check something off and then you're never going to experience that again. That might sound discouraging, but there is so much good that comes from seeing these stories in the Bible. I mean, just to name a few, we see how Sarah failed by not trusting that God would deliver on his promise. And we see how that all plays out in Mm -hmm. Genesis 16. We see how the nation 
nation of Israel failed by not worshiping God alone. We see how Elijah failed emotionally and spiritually from burnout after he just did this amazing miracle. And he goes and just starts doubting because he's so afraid. And we see that in 1 Kings 19. Also, we see how Peter in the New Testament, he failed spiritually by denying even knowing Jesus. And he walked with him in Luke 22 or Matthew 26. And there's so many of these in Mm -hmm. scripture. And Peter did that after saying he wouldn't. Exactly. Which I think is encouraging that we don't see these perfect pictures of people in the Bible just doing everything the right way because we actually are able to learn from their Mm -hmm. failure. Man, I got one that's fresh on my mind right now. Mm One of the biggest failures we see in all of scripture is that of King David. Oh, yes. Okay. Shepherd, king, musician, warrior. Most importantly, a man after God's own heart. I mean, David was anointed. His name is mentioned in the Bible so many times that the only name mentioned more than his is God's. Mm. The man is an icon. Okay. Right now, I'm doing a study on the life of David. Yeah. And so his story is really fresh for me. And all of us probably think of the same thing when we think about how David failed, okay? It's after he becomes king, so after a great success, Mm -hmm. like you were saying, when he chooses to take another man's wife Mm -hmm. and have the man killed. I mean, we're talking about just devastating, voluntary failure. It's brutal. Yes, intentional. Mm -hmm. He did it on purpose. Yes. Right now in my study, David hasn't been appointed as king yet, but there is one specific moment in 1 Samuel 30 where we see a different kind of failure from him. God asks David to walk into this battle. He promises David that his army will win this battle. So it's an assured victory. And he's got 600 men to go with him, but 200 of those guys are too tired to come. So he's walking in with a smaller army than normal. And when he gets to the battleground, hundreds of the men that he's fighting up against get away. They escape. Mm. Literally, they get on camels and they ride off into the sunset. And even though David still won the battle, just like the Lord promised he would, it certainly would have been easy for him to walk away feeling like he didn't perform well. Mm -hmm. And when we take a look at these two failures, David and Bathsheba versus David on the battlefield, the first is a failure according to God's standard, right? Yeah. David and Bathsheba, that's a clear optional failure. He took the option of failing and it was not pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. It was something that he very easily could have prevented from happening. The other instance wasn't a failure in the eyes of God, but it certainly could have been seen as unsuccessful in the eyes of the world. According to any other military leader, that battle may not have been executed with the highest strategy or the strongest army, but we don't see David fixate on the things that could have been done differently. What we see him do in 1 Samuel, I think it's verse 23, He gives glory to God for what he had done. He says, the Lord has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. He didn't say, I could have done better. Mm -hmm. David's assured victory from the Lord didn't mean it would also be a perfect and flawless victory. His performance, even though it wasn't perfect, that didn't change God's promise. I absolutely love that. That's such a good word and way for us to think about that in terms of our lives, just like David Failure can be out of our hands, like you were saying. And other times, failure is just inexcusable. Mm -hmm. So hearing that and understanding that, how do we know the difference? Yeah, I think one is tied to disobedience. The other is tied to worldly expectations. If we talk about the first one, when our failure is tied to disobedience, it is very rare that we don't realize that. Yeah, The Holy Spirit always does his job to let us know, hey, 
Don't do that. We don't always do our job. A major sign of this type of failure is when you are actively fighting conviction in your decision making. Mm. However difficult it is for you to fight that conviction also will tell you how close you are to the Lord. So if it's really, really easy to disregard the Holy Spirit's warning, that probably means you are not near to the truth. I think one way to measure your proximity to God is the amount of time in between your conviction and your repentance. Mm, That's good. In my experience, the closer that I get to God, the more sensitive I am to conviction. When I'm sensitive to that, there's a shorter amount of time between my conviction and my repentance. And then my discernment in my decision making begins to increase. And the amount of failure that I have in the eyes of the Lord begins to decrease. So we know when it's disobedience, it's rare that disobedience is unclear. And David, like we were talking about being a man after God's own heart, he just fought his conviction. Mm. He went after Bathsheba knowing full and well, it's not right. Yeah. This is just what I want. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's also failure in the eyes of the world. Yeah. If we remember back to David's experience on the battlefield, we see he was right in the middle of what God asked him to do. God asked him to fight this battle. God told him he would win. No disobedience there. As far as the Lord's concerned, David didn't fail. Even when you are obedient, your success can still be subjective to the world. Yeah. Even when God is proud, that doesn't mean that the world is always proud. What's applauded in heaven is not always applauded on earth. Mm -hmm. So in order to discern the difference between these two types of failure, we have to identify who we are trying to please, God or man. And if we're trying to please man or like David, we're trying to please ourself and we're walking in sin, both of those are still a form of idolatry. Absolutely. Idolatry is anything that we are fixating our time, attention, and worth on over God. Idolatry is one of these words that we read in scripture and we think we're immune to it. If we're Mm -hmm. being honest, we're like, oh gosh, you see those Israelites making that golden calf and all those idols? Like that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Idolatry can be so many things. I'm even convicted to realize, oh, affirmation from other people, that's an idol in my life. Or wanting to succeed and wanting to be recognized for what I'm doing, that can so easily be an idol in my life. There are so many areas that idolatry can just creep into. You said you are doing a study on David, which we love David. I started a study called Beholding and Becoming by Ruth Chow Simmons. I love that book. It is so good. It's a book and then it's like a guided prayer journal alongside of it. Can I just caveat and say Ruth Chow Simmons illustrates every book that she writes. Mm -hmm. And so the whole book is just covered in her watercolor. It's stunning. And it's it's like birds and butterflies and flowers. I don't know if you saw at the very beginning of that book. Every single flora and fauna that she paints is symbolic of something biblical. She is just so artsy and so cool and I love her. Well, and she's like so intentional. I was reading one of the chapters the other night and it was like, I intentionally chose to watercolor this verse in prayers for whatever. And so it's just incredible. It's just a sweet form of worship for her. And I love that. Beholding and Becoming the Art of Everyday Worship is what this book is called. In this book, the whole idea is what you behold is what you will become. It's this investigative work for our hearts and for our souls to identify what we are beholding. The reason why we have to do that is because we are beholding idols in our life and we're beholding things that don't deserve the worth that is accredited to God. When we think about failure, when we think about how we are taking on these worldly expectations and letting those be 
what dictate our view of ourselves or our view of God or our view of the world, that's misplaced. Mm -hmm. That's us beholding the wrong thing. Therefore, we are not going to become more like Christ. The struggle that I have with this is I am constantly holding something up that I've done. Mm -hmm. I think that's where my idolatry falls most of the time. And I'm not always beholding something that I know is worth something. Mm -hmm. Most of the time I'm holding up something that I'm hoping will be worth something. Like fingers crossed that someone sees this thing that I did and sees me, it goes back to this core desire of wanting to be known Mm -hmm. and wanting to be valued, Mm -hmm. which doesn't come from the world. But when I do fail, it stops me in my tracks because it always exposes weakness. Mm -hmm. And I immediately tie that weakness to my worth. In doing that, I'm essentially believing that my value only goes as far as I do. And Mm -hmm. I'm limited. Mm -hmm. We are limited. There's a point where I will come to the end of my rope. I can't do it all. No matter how far I push myself, at some point, I will hit my ceiling. And when it comes to holding God up, God designed us to have that threshold so that we could have him as a stronghold. Mm -hmm. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. That means he is our fortress. He is our high place. He is who we should behold he doesn't want me to be concerned with my worth. Mm-hmm. He wants me to be concerned with his worth. Yeah. He doesn't want me to be concerned with what I've done. He mm-hmm. wants me to be concerned with what he's done or mm-hmm. what he's going to do through what I've done. We will all fail. He will never fail. Mm-hmm. When we look at the contrast between who we are and who God is, it should position us under his authority with him as who we're beholding. Mm-hmm. If we were limitless, all-powerful people, we wouldn't need a God who was. Exactly. Any amount of success that I have only comes by his provision. Mm -hmm. My efforts in holding up anything that I've done and hoping that it's worth something is in vain because without him, it isn't worth anything. And I can say that right now, but that doesn't make it easy for me at all to live. Yeah. We've talked a lot about our failure. We've talked a lot about failure we see in scripture, how to discern when that failure is something we can help Yeah. and how to discern when it's something that we just need to surrender. But how would you say we should reframe our failure to help us grow? It's so important that we do talk about this because like we were saying, when we experience failure, there is this tendency to believe that it's over. It's done. God's done with us. When we have failed, we think oftentimes that we are disqualified from being used by God. That's the end for us because we feel like failure is final or failure is fatal for us. And that's just simply not true. So how do we reframe our failure? We have to understand that there is purpose in our failure. We saw people failing in the Bible. We also need to be encouraged by how God redeemed their story. We know David as the man after God's own heart. We don't know him as this failure with Bathsheba. With Elijah, he is known by being strengthened by the Lord and continuing this epic ministry. We don't know him as burning out. We don't know him as that. God has redeemed his story. And Peter, we know him as starting the church. Peter, literally, his name was the rock on which I will start my church, church. build my church. We do remember that he denied God, but God redeemed 
his story. He's reframing our failure for his glory all the time. And so we just need to focus on him and behold him above all things and it will grow in our strength and our walk with him. Yeah, absolutely. Psalm 89, you know, blessed are those who walk in the light of your face for you are their glorious strength. Mm -hmm. He knows I can't offer perfection, but I can offer obedience. Mm -hmm. He's not expecting perfection from me. He's expecting me to seek him in all that I do and his way in all that I do. And if there's a time that I earnestly request something from God and it's a no from him, that is never not intentional. Mm -hmm. His no in whatever I feel like I want or I need or whether or not I succeed means that somewhere along the way, there is a much greater yes coming Mm -hmm. from him. And that's not just to do with the purpose he has. That's to do with the purpose that he has for me. Yeah. Just like David on the battlefield, it wasn't about his performance. It was about his faithfulness. Mm -hmm. And when we walk in the light of his face, his glory is the source of our strength. Yeah, His worth is our concern, not our own. When it comes to failure, we can so easily be affected by this topic because of what we've deliberately done wrong. Mm-hmm. We can just as easily be affected by this topic because of what we wish we could do better, mm. our not enoughness yeah. or not measuring up. I think to reframe that is to remember this, exactly what you said. Our God is in the business of taking our failure and using it. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have to. Nope. It will never be about what I have done or what I can do. It will always be about what he has done and what he can and will do. You might be drinking out of a coffee cup with this verse on it right now. Right now. Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Mm -hmm. Our failure is not excluded from all things. On behalf of our sin, he took the cross for it. On behalf of our efforts to achieve, he uses it in all its imperfection for Mm -hmm. his glory. God has already promised to take our failures and create something meaningful out of it. Our failure did not stop God in his tracks. It just set a plan in motion for him to rescue us from it. Mm. He set his sights on earth and sent his son so that it didn't have to stop us in our tracks either. Mm. And when we fail, it should only send us running to the one who took care of it already. He will humble us, teach us, and ultimately prove to us that he gets the glory in spite of our imperfection. And he works it all for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And that means that our failure is the means by which we're able to measure God's ability to make us more like him. If we come to him repentant, if we come to him moldable and humble and teachable, and we don't come to him concerned with our worth, but we come to him concerned with his. Mm -hmm. He always uses it every single time. And I think this topic is so hard for us to get over, especially in 2023, Mm -hmm. especially when culture is presenting a version of this successful dream life that we have to buy into all the time. It can be so hard for us to get past this We have got to move to a point as followers of Jesus where we are no longer as hard on ourselves as we are running hard toward God and running hard toward what he has for us and how he's going to choose to use us. Mm -hmm. There is never a time when we can present a perfect example of success to the world, to the Lord, to ourselves. The only person who ever did that was Jesus. Yep. 
When we look at our failure, we have to let it illuminate what Jesus did for us or else we're in a dangerous place. We're in a place of idolatry, a place of sin, a place of chasing something that's unattainable. Mm -hmm. And we're concerned about it when it's already been taken care of for us. This is a hard one to practically live out because it's affiliated with so much of what we do in our life. And practically, it's different. Like you can fail or feel like you're failing in so many different areas of your life. And how you combat that can look a little bit different every time too. Because if it's in a work setting or if it's in your home setting or if it's just in your heart, how you combat that, it might not be in the light, but you need to bring it into the light. And just understanding that when we fail, there's this sense of weakness and this self-preservation creeping up. But we just want to encourage you guys that God knows our hearts. And when we're weak, he is so strong. Mm. Whatever we're walking through, even though practically it's it's a little more difficult to navigate, he's calling us closer to him. He never fails. Never. I feel like we need Cody Carnes. Can Cody Carnes come out? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to wrap up with firm foundation, everyone. This wouldn't be a no one told me episode without our last final question. And that is, Caitlin, what? is something that you are so glad someone told you about. All right, I got a hair product coming your way. Ooh, I'm ready. Okay. This is the Kristen S. Texturizing Spray. You said Kristen S. and I was already in. Oh my gosh, her stuff smells so good. It smells so good. It smells like you've just been to the hair salon. And the packaging, so cute. Cute, okay. But what is this texturizing spray? What does it do? Well, I like it because it's kind of in between a sea salt spray okay. and hairspray. Oh. If you'll imagine with me. Does it make your hair wet? No. Okay. It's an aerosol spray. So it sprays okay. like hairspray or dry shampoo kind of, but it gives you a good hold and a good texture to your hair without one, making your hair wet mm-hmm. or making it crispy. <laughs> Okay. No one likes crispy hair. Unless it's chicken tenders, I don't want it crispy. <laughs> All right. I will go several days without washing my hair. And this texturizing spray just kind of gives it a little bit of a lift, a little volume, okay. makes it smell good. Like I said, it's not hairspray, so okay. it doesn't build up the product, if that yeah. makes sense. But I love it and it smells so good. I've literally had people ask me if I got my hair cut because they smelled the Kristen-S texturizing spray that, on my hair. That is a good compliment. That is a good compliment. There's nothing like when you leave the hair salon and your hair smells good. I don't understand how the hair salon gets your hair to feel the way it does. It, you cannot replicate it. I don't understand. I, is it the hair dryer? No, it's not. If you're a hair professional, will you please speak into this? Please. We need your help. My thing I'm so glad someone told me about is not hair care, not skin care, not any of that stuff, which I love, but this is more of a spiritual one. This is prayer care, if you will. Prayer care. That's so <laughs> cute. Um, I am so glad someone told me, I was telling you, Caitlin, earlier about this, the Echo Prayer app, which I know you have. I do. And I'm new to it. So basically, it's an app on your phone. You can go to the app store. You can download. It's called Echo, Echo Prayer. Mm-hmm. And what you do is you just insert all the people or things that you want to pray for on this like dashboard and then it can randomize them for you. So at random times in the day, it will just send you a person or a thing to pray for on your list. But something else that I love is you can actually dictate when you want to pray for something. So if it's like, okay, I know this 
person has an appointment at this day, at this time, I want to make sure I'm praying for them every single Tuesday at 2 p.m. You can do that. You can set it up. You can set it up. One of my favorite features is whenever a prayer is answered, you can like click answered. I love that. Which is so sweet. And then it like moves it off the dashboard into like a celebration wall, basically. And so it's just such an awesome way to be intentional about your prayer life, be intentional about praying daily, and being able to like see what God is doing and be encouraged by it. And so I really love it. It's really challenged me to like pray without ceasing, if you will. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just, it's such a good app. So I just highly recommend it. I'm so glad that people invent stuff like that for our phones. Me too. Because I mean, my phone is always with me and I always have notifications. So let's just add prayer to that one. You know, one of my favorite parts of the day is the verse of the day notification because I just get to read a verse and I genuinely believe the Lord can work through the timing of that. I believe it too. So I love it and I hope y'all love it too. Love you guys. Bye.